to Ether Hour, everybody. I'm your host, Conrad Franz, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyagin, coming to you live in the midst of what I can only call like the great noticing, something that I think a lot of us in this space on the internet have been waiting for for a long time. And I mean, all I can really say is, as far as I can tell, the, the elders of Zion are calling emergency meetings behind the scenes. The, uh, you know, the people on, on the right on the internet that we almost at this point considered on the other side are coming around. They're talking about the situation in Israel. They're talking about people like Ben Shapiro not being loyal to America. So big things are happening, but we don't want to just talk about the political situation on X, which we will, but we also want to get into some deeper symbols, some deeper ways in which this problem that is finally being realized has affected us in the West at the deepest levels of our worldview. And for that, we're joined by somebody fantastic. Dimitri, how about you introduce our guest here? Doing great, Conrad, and excited to have uh, the one and only Anthony of Westgate again. After a long, you know, planning of collaboration, finally we're having him on, and it's an absolute pleasure, you know, um, he's been a, a member of the, I guess you can say, Orthodox, as well as a conspirological uh, community here online on X, as well as Substack for quite some time. And he's been a sort of a great assistant for us in, in terms of guiding some of our content, I think, for more than a year now. So he's kind of been working behind the scenes. Um, you know, Conrad, myself, we've always kind of bounced off ideas from him. So it's finally great to actually have him on and just have a conversation about, you know, some pretty deep subjects, especially given the recent discourse happening on the X platform, as well as uh, Anthony Westgate's sort of speciality where he speaks about modern science and uh, cosmology, things of that nature that relate to, you know, essentially subjects which uh, distract humanity on a large scale. I think that's the only way I could really summarize his uh, particular field of interest. But beyond that, Anthony, um, I'll leave the floor to you, sir. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's a privilege to be here. And uh, yeah, we've, we've been talking about collaborating here for a while since uh, having Conrad on uh, my my now retired podcast. But uh, yeah, it's, it's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into this uh, this subject here. Yeah, yeah, it's great to finally get you on. Like you, I, I was the first guest on your show, and I remember we were like gonna, we were planning like we're gonna have a great episode. But for those that want to hear it, I've reposted that episode, that conversation between us about space. One of our most controversial episodes, despite the, you know, considering the things we talk about on this show, it's, I think, the least, like, you think it's one of the least controversial ones, but as far as, you know, the vitriol you get when you start saying certain things about about space and cosmology, you know, people get crazy. So we'll have that linked below, of course, Ether Hour episode 13.5, I believe is what I called it. So we'll have that linked down below for everybody that wants to hear more from me and Anthony. But it's good to have the trio here now, and I think... Uh, here on the free segment as well, for those of you not behind the paywall yet, that's going to get spicy. So, you know, pull out those wallets, am I right? But I think we're just going to, let's just kind of talk about what's been going on. I don't think we would have had a great conversation even if this stuff hadn't transpired on on X and in the kind of conservative space. But we're seeing with the stuff with, with Daily Wire, Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro. Anthony, you've been posting a lot about some of this stuff since the Israel conflict started. How have you kind of noticed the flow of this of this debate like what do you think has shifted like why is this why now well i think as far as the online discourse it's just gotten impossible to moderate and censor it because it's just such a widely discussed you know topic and how can you talk about this topic without naming these you know the people involved the jews the israelis whatever the zionists whatever you know, group you choose to name them as, it's impossible to have that discussion without mentioning it. So that's why I feel like, you know, it's kind of blown the doors off of this 
this discussion and now we can actually name the groups that we're talking about here and you know because now you also have the left who's been you know doing their activism their well, finally we see the left doing anti-war activism um and and talking about all these israeli war crimes that they're committing in the genocide which they're correct about i know that we kind of i i, I almost don't consider the left like part of the the discussion that we're having um so i don't consider them like allies on this issue but you know they they are they have helped to kind of push the needle forward right and so you know because this is just such a widely discussed topic now i think that it gives us more leeway to dive further into like the history of how this all came about and it's really you know <laughs> i think because of all of the accounts that elon follows that are more on the right um he's now being exposed to it maybe for the first time i don't know but you know it certainly has seemed to grab his attention to the point where he's now you know replying to these uh these comments like he last night he tweeted something like uh oh they should drop the a and adl and just call it the defamation league you know he replied to some uh some some post about you know the, the anti-white hatred from the jews let me, read, and, let me read it real quick this is what he's yeah. talking about he's talking about he replied post said okay, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest shit now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support, you know, that they supported flooding our country don't exactly like them too much. You want truth said to your face? There it is. And Elon replied to this, you have said the actual truth. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. essentially what I find interesting is Elon Musk makes these comments. Uh, this is after he has his massive, uh, shall we say, Israeli debrief, which took place of Netanyahu and probably the top rabbis. These are people with like 100 followers on Twitter, but, you know, they're qualified specialists in Talmudic Judaism, right? And he has to travel to Israel himself prior to the conflict, of course. And Elon Musk essentially has this anti-Semitic, I guess, uh, re-education campus right that he has to attend <laughs> after all of that and then he goes on joe rogan's show again for a second episode and then he goes on the um what is that uh jewish fellow's name who wears the black tie lex frid lex frid uh, <laughs> that's right so he goes on his ep which you know i guess they're friends so they're having their fourth episode so elon musk is going all these long form podcasts where he's essentially even on joe rogan's podcast he's literally smoking cannabis and they're speaking about very wild subjects but He's actually openly going on all these plat platforms where he could be questioned for his targeting of maybe a specific group. But, you know, these podcast hosts don't really address this particular issue. And now he's freely just attacking the query. So he's not afraid of public scrutiny, it seems. It's almost like he wants people to bring the subject up so he can mm -hmm. speak about it. It's really, really fascinating, especially given the fact that it's such a heated subject. And there's always the excuse of, well... It's not just that you're a modern anti-Semite. That accusation, of course, could always be thrown at somebody bringing the subject to the forefront. But these days, you could also be called maybe a some sort of terrorist collaborator, a supporter of Hamas, a supporter of killing Jewish babies, whatever, etc. The uh, sort of offenses, you know, these offenses thrown at the left, which who are essentially just weaponizing empathy towards the Palestinians, but naturally they also want some sort of Palestinian state for for the Palestinian people, things like that related to the current conflict. So Elon Musk is really not afraid of those accusations, not afraid of the, of the classic uh, accusations of anti-Semitism. And he just seems to be speaking his own mind, considering that he is the richest man on earth, I suppose, at this point, in terms of the wealth we can see and what's measurable naturally. You know, we probably, the three of us probably believe there are probably families behind the scenes, the Rothschilds, for example, who are much more wealthier, 
who than Elon Musk, and it's not about the Forbes list, but Elon Musk is, I would say, one of the most uh, outwardly influential businessmen, at least operating in the world today. So it's very curious that he's so brave, at least in October, November this year, of making these particular public comments. Yeah, I mean, even from a business perspective, it's, you know, he's, he's an insanely smart businessman. And I mean, you know, he he's not like, there's still Zionist advertisements being ran. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you're, you're seeing it on your end, just part being part of this discussion, you're being targeted with Zionist uh, propaganda ads. So it's not like he's, you know, he's, he's just allowing anyone to join this discussion and either side, I suppose, can pay to run ads for their war, their war propaganda um, on the platform. So it's, you know, there's no, like, it, it, it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to say that it's like, uh, an anti-Semitic platform just because they're not doing, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't even know how they would moderate at this point, all the, all the anti-Zionist stuff. Cause it would mean you literally can't talk about this issue. Like you, you would, you know, he, he, so he knows that. And so to cr criticize him, what do you have to do? You have to join X and join the discussion and criticize him on there. So it's like, it's just driving more traffic and, and attention to the platform. Yeah, I mean, it's like Landshark said, give me an unbannable Twitter account and I could literally take over the world. Like, like if it's, it's, it's about like the platform and audience okay. it is so key. And we're in, what we're seeing right now is, is, is narrative warfare. It, like, we're, like the truest form, I mean, like Marshall McLuhan said, the third world war is an information war with, you know, no yes. division between civilian and governmental fighting. Like this is like, we're in the, we're in the, the end game here. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, uh, just the simple fact that people are just one platform and sure we're seeing because of X, we're seeing some of the other platforms slightly lessen up. Like Facebook is now allowing, you know, talk about the 2020 election and whatnot. I think on their ads as that stuff ramps up because they're realizing the engagement you can get from some of, from some of these discussions, which of course, in that same regard, you need to be careful of false dialectics being, being put up in front of you. And, you know, some of these things being manipulated, but just the fact that like Elon Musk has gone so far I don't really understand what, like, I mean, he truly does seem in some regard to be committed to the truth. Like I'm not, I wasn't like, so like I have my criticisms of Elon Musk. I wasn't necessarily like a fanboy, but at the same time, I mean, I've always been in his, in his corner since he bought X as someone who just, you know, has been struggling with being platformed for, you know, six years at this point. I think the, uh, the fact that he's doing this proves that there's something real going on there. And I don't know if he's going to, have political aspirations or whatnot like right now he's the only person in america that i could say that i won't want trump to pick as like a vice president that would like actually like increase my desire to perhaps like vote in an election so you know that's that's where we're at right now but yeah i think in the same regard we're seeing the denizens of the israel lobby even on the right our ben shapiro's our our daily wires being uh kind of brought into the into the fray and they're getting ratioed like like nobody's business. I mean, Anthony, do you maybe want to tell the people everything going on with Candace Owens and then we can kind of go from there? Yeah, well, you know, I guess with, I haven't actually been following exactly what's going on there. I just know that it's like a very, in a, like strangely public dispute that's happening with, uh, between an employer and an employee of the Daily Wire. And, and so there's, there is a little bit of like, I think, I saw Remnant made a comment about it, you know, comparing it to like a, a, a wrestling theatrics, you know, like, and it's so basically Candace Owens, you know, said something about like Nikki Haley should run for the uh, president <laughs> of Israel um, because she's like, you know, she seems to simp for Israel more than, you know, her own country. 
And Ben Shapiro didn't like that. And he started to publicly ridicule her, who's, you know, his employee. He, she works for him. And, and then she replied to him, or, or I guess she didn't even reply to him. She just like quoted a Bible verse about like, blessed are those who are persecuted. Right. <laughs> peacemakers. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and Shapiro, of course, quote tweets that and says, you know, assumes that he's, that she's talking about him, which is hilar- a hilarious kind of self own, like, that he like he just kind of exposed himself as a persecutor, I guess, and and also at the same time was like <laughs> showing that you know to to the new noticers he's showing that you know he he's he's getting triggered by the Bible like it's just a, it's literally a Bible verse that he made about him, and so that that's the kind of stuff I think that is very effective in this whole thing is that um, these you know these Jewish people these Zionists they're they're exposing themselves and they're, they're like the ones kind of fueling the anti-Zionism. They're the ones that are doing all this with their behavior. Yeah. I think, uh, what's, what I found very curious is that, you know, and I'm not like a big fan of Candace Owens, but I guess I've been following her for like several years now. I mean, it's, it's kind of unavoidable, but it was the fact that she quoted specifically the Sermon on the Mount, which essentially is, uh, Christ giving the, essentially the outline of the new testament the, the ethical the ethics and morality of of the christian tradition essentially the sermon on the mount as you remember the event from the gospel of matthew specifically chapters 5 6 and 7 it doesn't necessarily find much outreach in our in our liturgical i guess feast day tradition in the orthodox church you can even say there is no feast day of the sermon of the mount right it's it's that one event which i guess in the protestant church it's spoken about a lot because it does have christ essentially preaching quite openly on on the mountain in front of you know before thousands of people but it doesn't necessarily even have a feast day in the church interestingly enough it's one of those uh events which doesn't necessarily have a memory but you know where it does have memory is that in the liturgical tradition we sing about it during liturgy and other services so it is mentioned and integrated very intricately into the liturgical tradition of the church and so candace owens being a protestant herself i believe i don't think she's a catholic she does mention it and ben Shapiro seems really offended at that specific at those verses relating to that sermon why well naturally yeah. ben Shapiro does not believe that christ is the messiah and also because the sermon the ethics and the morality given by Christ now that Christ was the lawgiver who gave the Old Testament laws to Moses in the first place, right? Ben Shapiro doesn't believe that, but uh, that's the truth, right? That's how we see the Old Testament. And suddenly Christ comes and explains the new Christian ethical morality of a higher level, a higher pedigree to the people of Judea and those listening to him, right? On the on the mountain itself. And so Ben Shapiro is offended by that because essentially Candace Owens, she's, she's of course bringing up the ethics of the, of the sermon in relation to the Palestinian conflict and then the, you know, the Israel um, participation in the conflict, but it relates as well to Ben Shapiro's Talmudic ethics not being related to anything godly as well, which I think him being a really, you know, pretty smart Jewish fellow, I think he would understand exactly what, what she was quoting. And I think that probably double triggered him because in fact, it is that one moment where the Old Testament is announced to be old and the New Testament, you know, comes in to replace that. And of course, Talmudism comes in even after that as this sort of expansion pack nobody really asked for, right? It's this DLC nobody really called upon for. And in fact, it's quite offensive and you can almost say satanic, Balochian, uh, you know, Malachian and Baalian. And uh, we see that today naturally in the way these certain groups behave and over the last few hundred years. But Ben Shapiro, yeah, really kind of triggered by these things. So I guess that's the... Uh, we still haven't really seen an open response from Candace Owens besides yeah. her appearing on Tucker Carlson, which was, I think, pretty incredible interview. And it almost, yeah. 
came out right afterwards, which makes me think Tucker Carlson also has his finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, I don't even think Candace like knew about all the stuff you just said about that particular the Sermon on the Mount, like who was directed to in the context. And I think she was just you know quoting a scripture that resonated with her. So it's funny that it actually still had all that significance, and that Shapiro probably even knew better than her. And <laughs> in that same regard, you talk about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you will hear the Sermon on the Mount in the services and sung about, and many saints will say, you know, what, what chapter of the scripture should I read? And they'll say, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 will be, you know, if you had to read any part of the scripture, that'd be a great way to start. But, you know, St. John Chrysostom, you know, author of the Divine Liturgy itself, you know, the most exalted, I think, homilist in the Orthodox tradition, he he wrote the Paschal homily that is read, you know, every Pascha in every Orthodox church. And he said in, this is from one of his sermons in his eight sermon series, you know, Adversus Judeus, which I think is becoming more and more relevant to this day. He said, this has been my experience too. Once I took up my fight against the Jews and rushed to meet their shameless assaults, I destroyed their reasoning and every lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I brought their minds into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And after that, I somehow acquired a stronger yearning to do battle against them. And that's what we're seeing right now. People that are, you know, they may not be Orthodox, they may not be civilizationally Christian, as we like to talk about here, but they are Christian, they really revere the scriptures, and they're starting to finally, they're, they're sincerely held beliefs, which you could say are just some of the most simplistic, not fleshed out Christian morality. Even that is coming into conflict with, with people that can only be described as, as the rulers of this world. Hmm. I think as far as the, what we're seeing right now, we could dissect the, 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 the blood sports that we're witnessing all day, but I think I want to take a step back. And we have Anthony on. He's, he's an expert on these kinds of things. And I think I want to start, you know, we could start, you know, at the creation, right, and talk about the symbolism there. But I think a good place to start is around the time of Copernicus. And then I think we move up through the Reformation, up into the 19th century, and then into the early days of Zionism and kind of go a little deeper and get a little symbolic on how how we kind of have, we mean, Anthony talked about this on my cosmology episode, how we've been, how the world mind has basically been alchemically transmutated into a fantasy-based reality on all fronts, whether that's scientific, whether that's religious, whether it's literally where we are in the world. So, you know, I've, I'll have this, this article linked below, I've linked it below many times, but, but Anthony, where, if we start with Copernicus, how have, you know, how have these people that are now kind of being exposed in the public sphere, how have they been? I guess, influencing us in that regards that far back? Well, I mean, in many ways, this can be traced back all the way to, you know, to, like I said, per, you know, like you said, per, uh, Copernicus in, in, the, in the Renaissance uh, era. And, you know, a lot of people, they think of this kind of merging between the Zionism and the Christianity, this kind of like unholy alliance as being like more of a modern phenomenon and really it's you know i i argue and and i think many others that i draw in uh, that i draw my sources from um would argue that this has been kind of ingrained in the whole spirit of the reformation from the beginning because when you look at the history of the renaissance it was really what was the renaissance it was a revolution and what is behind the spirit of any revolution in history the Jewish revolutionary spirit. So this was a revival. It was a it was a explosion of esoteric knowledge. As you had the Laurentian Library was acting as a basically a hub of all this occult knowledge, and so you had all of these you know academics 
that were discovering this new knowledge, this, uh, you know, that this, what they, what they perceived to be the oldest religion in the world of hermeticism. Um, and there was a, a kind of, you know, idea of the, the oldest, I forget the, the phrase, it's like the theo- theologica, Priscus Theologica. It, it, it's the idea that the oldest theology is, is the most true. And, and so, you know, they stumbled across this hermeticism uh, in, the, in the Renaissance, and it just exploded into all of the European culture um, and, and started to influence the scientific research, the scientific studies, the all the other academic research, the you know the religion, the philosophy, everything. So you had basically this infusion of alchemy into you know academics, and so it, this was all kind of centered around this figure, Hermes Trismegistus. Who there's a lot of like debate over if he was even a real person or not, but certainly in the Renaissance period, they perceived him to be this real figure who was like tied to Moses and he's, he's responsible. He was considered the founder of science, religion, mathematics, geometry, uh, medicine, magic, like all of these things that were kind of at the center of all these studies at the time. And so this hermeticism influenced all of this, all of the academia at the time. And this is the, this is where the reformation came from. The, the reformation came from this scholasticism and so I, w- I won't go into all of that, but, you know, because that's like a whole different, there's, there's a ton of, I, I learned from diving into this rabbit hole that there's a ton of literature on this that I didn't even know about. It's just very hard to find. But I know E. Michael Jones has written a few chapters on this in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And that's kind of what led me down this rabbit hole in particular uh, with the cosmology. But yeah, the, I mean, there's a famous quote about uh, Copernicus that he owed this debt to the Hermetica. The, that's the, uh, the text of uh, Hermes Trismegistus, this like famous occult text, and that he owed this debt to the Hermetica, which was demonstrated by the fact that the, there's these three revolutionary ideas that he was famously to propose. One was the Earth's motion in space. The second was its rotation on its own axis. And the third was that it was orbiting the Earth and the other planets around the sun. That, and this all appeared in the Hermetica. So all these ideas that have never before been perceived in, in the field of cosmology, they were discovered in the Hermetica. And Copernicus was you know, very into these occult writings. So was uh, Newton many of these famous figures. Thank you so much for listening to the free preview of Ether Hour, everybody. This has been episode 23, Get Behind the Paywall. We got pretty spicy here in the free segment, so you're welcome for that. But Get Behind That Paywall, Anthony breaks it all down on the hermetic Talmudic roots of modern cosmology and all sorts of other facets of the modern Western worldview. So you don't want to miss this one. Get behind that paywall. You'll get access to all the previous episodes and all sorts of other content, and it really helps us out, keeps World War Now going. So thank you so much for listening, and God bless. (laughs) 